I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week, coming off a big event that was Performance Reset 2020, that inspired and set the path, strategies, and mindset for us to thrive in the coming year, we are going to dig into something that I think traditionalists in the field might object to a little bit. I might just shake up your thinking about your perception of what a successful approach to a healthy improvement in running is. We're going to break down our proven approach to getting folks to run faster with less injury risk while avoiding fake promises, quick fixes, or any of the faddery that we so detest. That is coming in the meat and potatoes. But first, I want to talk to you about the green. Yeah, the money. Yes, as we march into winter, there is plenty of fog and uncertainty. But Every participant of the performance reset is now armed with a toolkit for them to develop resilience and adaptability. Now, I'm tempted today to run through every speaker, but, well, that would spur just a serious bout of, as the Americans would like to say, FOMO. So I won't. Participants will immerse in the sessions over the coming months, and we're going to look for ways to enable those that didn't participate over the weekend to maybe gain a little access to a few of the recordings in the coming weeks. But there is one thing I'm going to talk about today. And it's the one thing that I can talk about with, and I use this word carefully, immense pride and happiness. Because I think that this might be one of the best things of the entire Purple Patch journey so far. When launching Performance Reset 2020, we knew it was gonna be a colossal effort. Six weeks to build the platform, engage with the 30 plus guests and speakers, develop the content, spread the word, learn how to do a two and a half day live TV production event. Oh, surely it was too much, but We knew the time was right, we knew the occasion was important, and we knew that many folks needed just this. And in perhaps a minute of madness, we also decided to take on another mission. We decided to embrace a big, hairy goal of our own and ensure that the whole event was about more than just individuals pursuing their own performance. And so Kelly and I decided to put a portion of all ticket sales to the Challenged Athletes Foundation. And we added to this to infuse some of the inspirational stories across the weekend. I'll tell you what, the winding sure does slow down when a challenged athlete steps up to talk to everybody. But here comes the power of a coming together, of maintaining a mindset of collaboration, belief, and the simple fact that we are all in this together. We achieved two things over the weekend. First, in collaboration with OSHA Prosthetics and Challenged Athletes Foundation, we were able to open up the world of sport to a young teenager whose passion is soccer, but he only has ever got to play in goal. Juan was granted 
a brand new athletic prosthetic that will empower him to do, and this is important, whatever he wants. It was the first time in his life that he had ever met any other kid with a prosthetic leg. And that one kid that he met was Mohamed Lana, a Paralympic medalist, who turned to him, gave him the leg and said, you're a part of the Challenged Athletes Foundation. You can do whatever you want. His life was changed. Yes, there were tears. And driving behind this, the second thing that we were able to accomplish is the absolutely seismic coming together of the Purple Patch and Performance Reset family. Over the weekend, we're immensely proud to absolutely blow away our own expectations. We managed to raise more than $76,000 for the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Yep, folks, that's right, 76 k So now the Challenged Athletes Foundation is empowered to change more lives. Tears were shed, virtual hugs were given, and i got to say, it was a moment that I will never forget. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that on the show. I'm so proud of the Purple Patch team, of the Purple Patch community, and for the spirit of everybody that stepped up on the weekend. Thank you to all. We're keeping the donation open for another week or so. We're going to add the link directly to the show notes. And so if you find yourself inspired, whether it's five bucks, 10 bucks, 10,000 bucks, whatever you would like to do to help change lives. And with that uplifter, go to the link and we'd love you to donate. We really appreciate it. But now, as we are buoyed into what we can do despite these crazy times, I want to talk about big, hairy goals. Oh, Barry, talking about hairy. Let's do word of the week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the wings. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. Yes, the word of the week this week. Big hairy goal. It has been a challenging time for athletes, workers, leaders, parents, and beyond. And for a lot of us, it's created a sense of being directionless and rudderless. It's just been straight tough. I haven't met anyone that hasn't struggled. And many, no, most, have really struggled to find routine and really feeling like they're up to operate at their capacity. So the words and the phrases that come to mind as an antidote for these feelings are the pursuit of mental resilience, physical resilience, adaptability. And at the Performance Reset, we explored the journey to develop within these environment that we live in. And it's all well and good appreciating that, yeah, we want to go and get resilience and we want to become adaptable. But the question that I asked was how? Well, over the course of the weekend, a clear message bubbled out. The route for you to develop great resilience and adaptability is via embracing the athletic journey, because that is the very path to allow an increase in these traits and improve your capacity to do more and be more effective across all aspects of your life. The crucible of the athletic journey is not 2D. It extends and expands across life and work performance. The lessons and traits that you will draw cross-pollinate and allow you to thrive in life. And so with this in mind, we put down a challenge to every single performance reset participant. 
Over the coming days and weeks, we wanted every participant to get to their purpose, what they were looking to achieve, and out of that, establish a big, hairy goal. Why? Because by going on the pursuit of a big, hairy goal that is personal to you and aligning to what you want to accomplish and be as a thriving human being, the journey of that is going to open up performance across your life. And so, yes, it needs to be a little scary. It needs to be a little audacious. It wants to begin with really, really baby steps, just one to two habits that you can build little mini victories on that slowly over time become a fortress of performance. And at the performance reset, everyone there are committed to sharing their goals. We've got a journey to go and try and seek a Paralympic medal. We've got a quest to try and hike the Grand Canyon rim to rim. We've got a gravel race in Montana, a mission to be ready for a big hike in May in Colorado, Ironman events, someone that's trying to do 150 days of training and activity over the course of 200 days, and many, many more. But behind all of these big hairy goals, there must be a deeper purpose. What is driving that goal? Is it to be a more effective leader, to be present and vibrant as a parent, to inspire others to take on the journey, to model a life of performance as an example to your kids, to be able to ski with your teenage kids as you move into the older ages? It has to be meaningful and it has to carry purpose. And so I invite you, define your purpose Think about what success means and then use a marker or a goal that can act and serve as your lightning rod and compass of that pursuit in 2021. And so with that in mind, let me provide inspiration and thought for some because this coming now is the meat and potatoes. The word of the week is big hairy goals. And if you've thought about being a runner or you'd love to improve your run, or you've been stuck in the cycle of injury training, injury training, and the frustrating thing that that provides, I want you to listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, today, this is the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes. Are you frustrated with a lack of improvement in running? Perhaps you've got just too much experience of injury when you try and stick to one of those traditional running plans. Have you ever found yourself saying, I get it, but running just isn't for me? If any of those resonate today, this is for you. And what I'm going to do is I want to go through very briefly a series of case studies, really quick blurbs and highlights of real life purple patch athletes that have all occurred over the last couple of years. And these are real folk and just a few of the many stories that are similar, that permeate a slightly evolved and let's call it what it is, new approach to running improvement. The ones that I feel comfortable naming, well, we're going to stick with their real names. But others I'm going to protect with a slightly adjusted name. But listen up as they each tell a slightly different story under the same umbrella 
of performance. And so where shall we begin? Well, let's start with Kelly. Yes, that Kelly, my wife, coming up on her 50th birthday with no meniscus in even knee following a life of youth gymnastics and outside adventures, she was told she couldn't run. Pain came with running. Her knees would swell after every effort. And yet her close friend was also turning 50 and she had a dream to run a marathon. And so Kelly being Kelly, every idea is a good idea to Kelly, agreed to support her. And she said, I'm going to join the journey. So the woman who couldn't run was going to train and run a marathon. So what was the approach? Well, pretty simple, really. The backbone of the program was running? No. Strength. A wholehearted commitment to full body strength, mobility, and stability work. That was the backbone. To develop cardiovascular conditioning at safe intensity intervals, we then leverage the bike. Two to three sessions on the bike, typically in my bike class that I coach, very hard for some of you folks that will know, very challenging. That was where we developed resilience and conditioning. And then a really consistent supportive habit of ongoing orthopedic massage with Ava Popper from the team at SMI. Okay, great, but that still doesn't get Kelly ready for a marathon. So then came the running. How did we set up the running? Well, it was really quite simple. Highly consistent, very short runs of somewhere between 20 and 50 minutes. And every single one of those runs was always a mix of form-based, faster running with integrated walk breaks so that Kelly could restore form and also allow a break of load. And then every long run that she did, maybe once a week, once every 10 days or so, was always executed on softer surface trail with integrated walk breaks, often breaking up the required extended duration by accumulating run duration over splitting multiple sessions over the course of a day or even multiple days over a weekend. Throughout this whole program, Kelly never ran more than four minutes in a row without integrating walking. She never ran more than two days in a row. And every run, it kept her focused and engaged by programmed walking to allow a very simple concept to occur. And that was the challenge to run as well as you could for as long as you could, as often as you could. And by doing that, Kelly wasn't trailing off into that, oh, I just feel rubbish. And of course, pounding the muscles around her knee as form started to disintegrate. And so when it came to race day, what was the quest? Does she go and run a marathon and see how far she can do it? No, don't change a thing. Program walk breaks began from mile two. And the only reason we ran the first two miles was that those first two miles went through a very dark tunnel and it sure wasn't a fun place to walk. But then from mile two, we programmed and remained consistent throughout the whole race. And on the back pocket, 
she had a strategy to shift the walk breaks to more frequent if she started to feel like fatigue was creeping in. So that was the management tool. Her goal, about four and a half hours. The real quest was to finish and finish with a smile on the face. But she thought, I wonder if I can go four and a half hours here. Her finish time, just programming the walking, three hours and 57 minutes. Her first is fastest miles, mile 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. Of course, 26, kissing babies, waving to the crowd. She slowed down a little bit to immerse in the experience. And most importantly, her knees, no issue. Whew. Got that thinking? Spark a little intrigue? Well, let's talk about Tony, because Tony's done marathons before. He's a committed athlete, but he struggled with consistent niggles. 54 years of age, already competed in several Ironman races around the world, moderately competitive in his age group, and a real fanatic. But Tony was always hesitant to take on running training as he found himself in the constant loops of injury. Yeah, that vicious cycle, time and time and time again. And so as he went through his running or athletic career, he tried only running once or twice a week. And he attempted to maximize those with one hard run off of his bike and a single high intensity session. He left the long run out, but still he got injured. He was so frustrated, he considered going away from triathlon completely. He said, well, maybe I should just hit the swim bike races and some other riding adventures because, well, being injured is what well, sucks. And three months away from a key race sometime last year, yes, his knee was niggling again. And he declared in his own words, Oh, another failure and frustration. I guess I should take a few weeks away from running, skip the race, rebuild again. I'm not going to give up, but ugh. Well, I asked Tony not to give up now. And instead, I said, how about we try something a little different? Something that is going to require a really long-term lens and a very patient heart. And it's going to be an approach that won't provide any immediate yield to you. And it, it might just help your plight. But we've only got a few months, and so this is going to take a little courage. And here was my ask for Tony. Firstly, to put his swimming and riding at the very forefront of his training. All of the intervals, all of the load, and all of the effort of a regular training program. And on top of that, to add a little supplemental riding. We were gonna maintain consistent effort around strength and conditioning, and that was gonna be the focus. That was your quote, training plan, Tony. And then we were going to relegate, but amplify his running. Hang on, pause. Relegate his running and at the same time amplify? How in the world does that make sense, Dixon? Well, in a word, consistency. Because Tony ran six times every week. But every single run of the, one of those runs was at very low intensity and with a quest of never 
putting a bad step of running forward. He always, always integrated walk breaks. And his runs averaged from seven minutes in duration to the big lofty long run of 20 minutes in duration. And over the weeks, those runs started to creep up to 10 to 35 minutes. And as consistently started to layer, we didn't add intervals or intensity or hills. We crept up from 35 to 60 minutes. We never trained the run. We added no intervals. In their place, instead of the intervals, we put strategic walk breaks. But while we just looked for running consistency for running and tissue health, we lent into the swim and bike to develop the resilience and a full range of intervals. We focused heavily on plenty of low cadence, high torque intervals on the bike. The run wasn't training, it was tissue resilience. So over the weeks, his swimming and biking were terrific and they got more terrific. And that was likely buoyed by having much less tired legs because he wasn't doing those hard running intervals. And so in those little elements, his confidence really became sky high. But the run, well, he was a black hole. He didn't know. But the one thing he did know is that he had no pain for the first time in years. He felt great. But also the acknowledgement, he just hadn't been training in that discipline. He genuinely had confidence that was like looking into a black hole. So up crept his race and he came up with an idea. Maybe we should tackle it because, you know, I haven't been running properly. Maybe we should tackle it by just hammering the swim and bike. Let's go and lay down something special. My swim and bike has been going like it's never gone before. And then, well, maybe we can just scrap the run. And then we can use that stronger swim and bike as a learning experience. And then we can rebuild in a classic program and see what we can do with this new elevated swim and bike. Once again, I asked for something different. Tony? Go and race the race. But I want you to go and race the race with a blank slate of expectations. Low expectations are not the same as no expectations. And I want you to have none. Don't predict what will happen. Just ask the body the question of performance and see what answer it provides. Have no expectations. Run as though the preparation had been perfect. And if it hurts, in that bad way, you know, that bad way, and then make a decision of health. But we won't know until you go and do your race. Well, on race day, Tony actually did what he was asked. Good boy, Tony. And he ran 12 minutes faster than he'd ever run on a rolling course that followed a swim and bike combination that was absolutely his career best. And he hurt in a good way the way that racing should. And he followed the race with a few easy days before being completely recovered and able to move back into training. So does this mean that Tony never has to do run intervals again? No, we've got to improve from here. But for the first time 
he embraced a seriously patient approach to tissue resilience, and he lent into the other aspects of the sport. In other words, leaning into multi-sport to enable his progression. And with continued patience and resilience, he's now gone back to a more regular training schedule, what you might call one that is more balanced. But of course, now I'm challenged with helping him get improvement above that lofty performance of last year. Folks, I will do my best. Next up, Cecilia Davis Hayes, professional triathlete while navigating the rigors of medical school at Columbia University. And after excelling at both for the initial phase of the journey, the load in her life was becoming more and more and more. The reality of travel for professional half Ironman distance events was getting more challenging. It just simply wasn't realistic. But Cecilia still chased performance and she wanted a, well, how do we call it now in 2020? Oh yes, she wanted a big hairy goal. So she decided to enter her local marathon. That local marathon was the New York Marathon. And so not what I would call a natural runner, at least not at the more elite end of the sport. I wondered to myself as a coach, how fast could Cecilia run a marathon? Hmm. My gut? Well, I'm a wise coach, aren't I? I wonder if she could break three hours. I mean, that would be special. 305 would be great. 310, that's a very good performance still. And so now came the training. And at medical school at Columbia, of course, her hours and capacity was really limited. And so we were forced into a cul-de-sac. We had to think outside of the box. So how did we do it? We leveraged her commute, nine miles of biking each way with the occasional lucky extension of an extra couple of loops in Central Park when both energy and time allowed. And this was the venue where we focused on some really big gear high torque, low cadence work, as well as integrating some very high intensity short intervals all on the bike. We managed to sneak in a couple of commuter runs each week that were either smooth endurance or just a general building effort, nine miles of running in total. And then trying to compete at the elite level in running, we committed to short yet critical strength training, all done from her home. An accumulation of about 60 minutes of strength each week, either split into two or three sessions across the week, depending on what her schedule allowed. Was that the program? No, she had to get ready for a marathon. We got to add two, yes, two focused and more specific runs during most weeks. One was longer and a little bit more marathon-esque, and one was more interval-driven typically done with some track-focused friends of hers. And so that all added up to three, and if we were really lucky, four runs in a week. But of course, we had to do a heavy lean into the riding so that we could continue and get the required resilience and cardiovascular conditioning. And if she did have a day off from it all, and she didn't have to go in to the residency, did we just cram in running? No. It was focused on extra sleep, a little bit of downtime, and that would be the chance that she could hit the pool and go to her local master swimming group. Really good for the soul, 
no stress on the musculoskeletal system. And so I've got to be honest, I wouldn't label it as a marathon program exactly, especially not in the elite sense of the word. The result, what does she go in that tough marathon? Two hours, 53 minutes and 21 seconds. Yes, that made the coach look pretty dumb, didn't it? What did I say again? I wonder if she can break three hours. 310 would be good. Quick side note, never let your coach limit you. And so a little recovery and a crazy idea. Cecilia, what about going to Houston Marathon just a few weeks later? It was the last chance to qualify for the Olympic Trials Marathon. What was the cutoff, she asked. You have to go 244.59 or faster. Was I crazy? Well, Cecilia didn't think so. She was just eager. As she said, heck, Matt, what have I got to lose? And so, what did we do? What did we change? Did we pile on miles to make the breakthrough? We couldn't. We're in a cul-de-sac. Life and schedule didn't allow. And so what we did is we repeated the program, but evolved it. We just tweaked a few things. And we hoped that round two would enable a building effect. As long as we were patient enough to recover from the rigors of the New York effort, we felt that we could evolve and build off of that first set of the program. And so we rode, we did strength, we added commuter runs, and yes, those two focus runs weekly. Come in Houston. How did she do? Well, now she was running with the real women. Her time, two hours, 45 minutes and 28 seconds. Oh, Cecilia, you failure. 29 seconds off the cut of the Olympic trials. But what a run. Strong till the end, chasing. Without that pesky driving headwind in the last six miles, you surely would have nailed it. Now, we would hardly label this an elite running program. And it isn't the call for every elite runner to only run three or four times weekly. Because the truth is that once you start to edge towards the real razor's edge of world-class performance, once for a woman you're moving under 230, 225, 220, there is an absolute inescapable need for massive running resilience. And so, yes, at the very world-class level, this program starts to collapse, although there are still lessons in there. But what about the 99.5% of runners who don't breathe that type of thin air, who are seeking health, improvement, and what's the word? Oh, yeah, enjoyment, without niggle, without pain, but with massive performance gains. Perhaps there is a little something to be learned. And finally, Jordan also from New York, a hybrid athlete, mid-40s, a picture of health, resilience, and I might say some pretty bulky muscles, a very keen triathlete, but also a committed runner. He has run the Boston Marathon more times than I know of anyone. It is his annual pilgrimage of pure spring running. Traditionally, he used to drop the swimming bike, lean into a run-focused program, and then return to triathlons for the summer season. A very good runner, he tends to sway somewhere between 3 hours and 20 minutes and 3 hours and 30 minutes on a very challenging Boston course. But 
He started working with Purple Patch. He wasn't getting any younger. He was eager to evolve. And he also wanted to try something a little crazy this year. Could he go and successfully do the dirty back-to-back, the Boston Marathon, and six days later, go to the Big Sur Marathon? Two races, six days apart, 3,000 miles apart. The tough pavement pounding of Boston followed by the impossibly hilly Big Sur beast. Jordan had to remain healthy. And so we lent into a broader lens to attack his training in the ramp up. Now, you would think that it would involve big back-to-back runs, a huge running block, maybe a high ramp up in mileage and run load. But as my mum used to say, you know what thought did? Thought wrong. That's right. We didn't pile on the running miles. Instead, we layered in really tough, high-torque bike intervals, and he found them very challenging. And it ensured that every day he had buckets of sweat under the trainer. Twice weekly, he did strength and circuit classes with fast treadmill intervals. He even infused two to three master swim sessions a week. Great for the soul, great for community, low load on the musculoskeletal system. And then on top of that, one to two more runs weekly, with the main run either being a longer run or extended longer strength-based hill intervals. And so his run frequency and weekly mileage in running actually dropped. He was running three at the most times four weekly. Now, I've got to admit on this one, I was a little nervous, or let's say intrigued, to see what would come. I felt like we'd stretched it. But you know what? In for a penny, in for a pound. The outcome, it was his second fastest Boston Marathon ever, but his best performance by a country mile. Because for you Boston affectionados, yes, it was that year. Yes, the one where the conditions were just the ones that Jordan hates. Wild rain and freezing cold temperatures. Conditions that often leaves athletes requiring really extended recovery. But he didn't have that recovery. He had to cross the country. He had to race again in Big Sur, 3,000 miles away, six days later. And what happened there? An even better performance, almost equaling his Boston time on a radically more challenging course. Now, following these, Jordan then shifted lens, mixed it up, and went on to a terrifically successful triathlon season. He remained mentally fresh with no injuries and not a glimpse of boredom creeping in. So why do I bring up these case studies? Is it just for me to tell you, oh, look at me, my wonderful and ingenious approach to coaching, promote myself as the latest running coaching sensation? Of course not. I just want you to pause and think, not dogma, pragma. If you're slogging through running, if you're downloading one of those marathon training programs off of the interweb, if you're training for running by just accumulating miles and time that progresses weekly, I think that you are likely just limiting yourself. I think that you're putting yourself at greater risk of injury. I think you're likely to yield less preferred results. 
And I also think that you're at a much higher risk of letting the journey become really stale and one-dimensional. Goodness, even I, little me, jumped into strength and twice-weekly cycling when I went on my journey to that crazy 50-mile training event that we talked about the other day. And so I believe that there is just a more pragmatic way, a smarter way, one might say, one that applies to people who are, quote, just not runners, but who are seeking to improve the sport, who are sick of getting injured, who cannot find a breakthrough. And a few main elements that can often apply, depending on your situation, is to lean into the absolute power of a multi-sport approach to running performance. It doesn't need to be swim, bike, run. It could be rowing, cross-country skiing, elliptical, but mixing it up is nearly always an amplifier of your running performance. Secondly, you should never be afraid or guilty of taking strategic walk breaks. If the Purple Patch Pros universally use them in training, I think that we can lean into their value in both training and racing. And also, finally, for some athletes, sometimes, there is often real power in removing the classic running training altogether and instead embracing really, really short and easy backbone of running that supports the multi-sport intervals as a pathway to ultimately develop great running health. Three elements, often poo-pooed, that are often viewed with disgust by the more endemic and pure running coaches and athletes. But three elements that we observe and keep seeing is the very path for you to fall in love with an approach that is eclectic and challenging across multiple levels, but also fun and provides ongoing success. And so perhaps it might just be something for you to stew on. As we edge towards the end of the year, and you consider a 2021 big, hairy running goal, perhaps you just need to embrace the power of multi-sport. Thanks for listening. Connect next week. Cheers and take care. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!